Welcome to the Book of Revelation, where we find out the Left Behind series was correct, or we find out it's all a big metaphor, or we find out it was all fulfilled in 70 AD, or... Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, like, subscribe, comment. Everybody, we are in our last book, not last episode, last book in the Bible. Yeah. This is a great chance for all of you uh, crazy people to comment on this, right? Oh, yeah. Give us all the answers that we missed. No, you're not crazy if you have no, no. And for all those who are joining us for the first time and you haven't been with us for the rest of the entire Bible, start at Genesis. <laughs> start, Go through the whole it's, Bible. It's going to be confusing because, <laughs> as we'll talk about, the book of Revelation refers to other parts of Scripture possibly a thousand times. So the, there's going to be a lot of things that don't make as much sense if you don't have the context. But mm-hmm. we love you and welcome you anyway, and we'll do the best we can to, right. to go through this. Yeah. It is kind of, when you're talking about Revelation, like if you're like a, like on a blog post or something, it's yeah. kind of impossible not to sound crazy. Yes. Just because everything is so like intense and mm-hmm. you know big in scope and all this stuff. Right. So it's just funny to read things and be like, whoa, this sounds crazy. And then you read it, you're like, no, I'm, I mean, Scripture... That's some crazy stuff. Oh, it does, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I like Revelation because, like, even though we're going to debate to the end of the age on what all the different parts of the book mean and when the tribulation is and blah, 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 and on and on, I like it because it starts me thinking about the bigger scope of our lives here and what's to come in eternity. Yeah. You know, so I really love that aspect of the book. And, you know, regardless of where you land with stuff, we're thinking about, you know, the great things of God and what God is leading his people to. So that's really encouraging for me. Yeah. Yeah. Is it is it written so that we can know a timeline of events exactly at the mm-hmm. end? And I think we have to clearly say no. Right. Because if it was, it, it doesn't seem to be very helpful. There's a lot of repeating of the same things. We'll look at that next week. But it, it, it doesn't seem to be laid out in a linear fashion. Like the return of Christ happens several times in the book mm-hmm. is what it seems like, the outpouring of his wrath. And so it seems to be emphasizing for us, of course, that, you know, realities that will happen at the end of the age mm-hmm. that we need to prepare for. But when the, the focus the is age? on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when Christ returns, right? Oh, yeah. When that's what we're talking about. So leading up to that, but the, the focus is very much on how we should live, right. that we should persevere, that we should reject the ways of the world, that we should embrace God's purposes for our lives. All of these things are are central to the book. Mm-hmm. So we can, even if we can't agree on all the specifics, we can agree on the message of Revelation. Right. And we can prepare ourselves for what's to come. Yeah. Not by building a bunker, not by, you know, stocking up on food or ammo. Yeah, that, no might, that might be a fun hobby, though. That, that might be fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, again, yeah. It, it's totally fun. <laughs> And it's fine to do. I'm just saying that's not how we prepare. Right. We prepare by being pure, by yeah, turning away from immorality in the world and, and loving God and living for him. So we'll right. see that in the book. Very cool. Well, let's uh, get some of the introductory material. Okay, down. yeah. So, so, yeah, there's a lot to cover, so we'll do the best we can. But And and maybe some of this intro stuff is not as helpful for you. I think in Revelation it's a little more important than other books, mm-hmm. not just to orient you, but to kind of helped us to deal with some of the arguments that will come up later in the book. So mm-hmm. so who wrote the book? Well, that's that's pretty clear, right? Revelation 1.1 says it was made known um, by sending his angel to his servant, John. Mm-hmm. So this is the revelation or the apocalypse of John. 
Now, which John is this? And you probably know a few Johns, that, jo- that John is a common name in history, but there's the tradition for this is incredibly strong, that this is John the Apostle. So one of the 12, the disciple Jesus loved, the author of the Gospel of John, the author of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you know, John, John, not yeah. John the Baptist, John the Apostle. And in fact, when I was reading through Carson and Moo's uh, New Testament introduction, they said the new t- this New Testament book, or sorry, no New Testament book has a stronger or earlier tradition hmm. about the authorship than does Revelation. Wow. That's a pretty pretty strong statement from some great scholars. They're yeah. saying the amount of testimony and how early it is hmm. by the church fathers is very, very, very strong. Very cool. So the strongest of any book. And there was a reason for that, right? Because they wanted to authenticate this. Mm-hmm. So where was it written? Well, the, the apostle says in Revelation 1.9 that he wrote this from Patmos, which is an island in the Mediterranean. So the, the language in Revelation 1.9 strongly indicates he was there because of an exile, because of persecution on account of his preaching the word. So it says in 1.9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So in that verse, he's aligning himself with their persecution and tribulation, and then he's saying he was there on account of, because of his testimony about Jesus. Yeah, sounds like so, a Christian thing. So there's a, there's a hint there, so I'd say a strong hint, that he's there because of punishment, because of his preaching the word, and then historically, there's overwhelming evidence that he was exiled in Patmos in 95 AD. Hmm. So this is, this is given by... Um, Irenaeus, who we'll talk about a little bit later, Eusebius, who's known as the father of church history, Jerome, who translated the the Latin Vulgate, all very important early church fathers, they all affirm that he was exiled in 95 AD under the reign of Emperor Domitian, and that his exile ended with the new emperor Nerva, great, great emperor name. Yeah. Nerva, he's kind of underrated, right? No no, no, one talks about Nerva. But his exile ended in 96 AD. So it gives a very tight date for when the, the letter would be written, if it was written during that exile. Awesome. Well, who was it written to? What was John, who was John writing to? So it's written to these seven churches, right? John, uh, Revelation 1-4, he mentions these seven churches who he's going to give mm-hmm. letters to at the beginning. And the, the book is kind of a letter. It's a prophecy. It's right. also an apocalypse. We won't kind of get into that, but there's it's kind of a lot of things in one. But it's not a normal letter. Right. But it is addressed to these seven churches. These are all churches in Asia Minor, so modern-day Turkey. Yep. And it would have been easy, given the location of these churches, for a messenger to go from one to the other, mm-hmm. bringing this letter with him. So the date is one of the big areas of debate. <laughs> so obviously, everyone's there's going to be someone who debates the authorship, right? And the more liberal you are, the more you're going to want to say it was written by some other author. Okay, so, but this is, we want to deal with more conservative issues, because we're conservatives and we believe the Bible, so we're yep. not going to debate that. But when is an issue of debate for conservatives? Because there's two possible dates. Right. So one is it was written right before 70 AD. So and what happened in 70 AD? So this in 70 AD was the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Right. So the Romans came in, destroyed the temple. You know, if you go to Israel today, you'll see the the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, where everyone is is there praying, and it's the the foundation like a stone from the foundation of the temple. Right. That for 2,000 years, there's been no temple. And it makes sense in a lot of ways because um, people will argue that what's written in Revelation is predictive of what happens in 70 AD. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the Olivet Discourse points to that, right? That the temple will be destroyed. 
Jesus himself prophesies this when he enters into Jerusalem, right, and weeps over the city. So it, it makes sense in a lot of ways, and it would help us to kind of explain some of these crazier symbols. Mm-hmm. So that's one view. The other view is that it's written in 95 AD, like I just mentioned. Right. It, that he's in exile, the exile historically, uh, you know, affir- uh, confirmed. And this date has a lot more support. So m- way more scholars agree on that. And it has a lot more historical support. So um, it's, it's interesting to me, actually, that with the overwhelming evidence of who wrote the book, there's not a corresponding heavy evidence of when the book was written, mm. if it was written early. Yeah. Right. Because if you wanna if you wanna validate the prophecies in the book, and if they were written in sixty seven A.D. or sixty six A.D. and then they were fulfilled in seventy, you would make a huge point uh, if you're an early church father of saying this was written before these events happened. Look at right. look at God's um, power and His knowledge to predict right. these events. Mm-hmm. But there's there's really no statements about that early date in the first five centuries of the church. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a real that'd be it's a really tough thing to 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 explain if you have that earlier view. Um, <clears throat> now Irenaeus makes an important statement about this. Mm-hmm. Um, Irenaeus is an important church father for a bunch of reasons, right? And important to this conversation. One, he grew up in the church at Smyrna, so one of the the one of the churches this book was written to. Mm-hmm. He grew up there. He was also tutored by Polycarp, who we call. Many fish. Many fish, of yeah. course, um, who was discipled by John himself. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's a grandson of the Apostle John spiritually, mm-hmm. and he's the recipient of one of these letters. So he had to know a ton about this book. Right. It was very important, very personal to him in so many ways. And Irenaeus said that John wrote the Revelation. Here, I'll read the whole whole quote. He says, um, he said, it would have been announced by him who beheld the apocalyptic vision... So, John. so he's talking about the vision, right? And then he says, for that was seen no very long time since, but almost in our day toward the end of Domitian's reign. So what was seen? Well, the that, some people are trying to argue that that's a he, he was seen, John was seen. Well, the, the, the antecedent of that, the last thing he said was vision. Mm-hmm. So it's the most natural reading to say the vision was seen. And what do you do with visions? Right. You see them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty clear. Every English translation of Irenaeus translates it that way, all four. Right. The Latin translation of Irenaeus translates it that way, understands it this way. Every church father understood Irenaeus that way. The first person to question that translation was in the 18th century. It's not very far ahead. So it's it, yeah. it's a very, very, very strong evidence <laughs> um, that he was saying this this you know was seen, this vision was seen at that time. And of course, Eusebius, as I said, he confirms that later date um and then there's a a bunch of factors about the actual book so like you know uh, john MacArthur points out the spiritual decline explained in chapters two and three of all these churches falling away it argues for a later date Mm. so given the condition we know historically of some of these churches it doesn't make sense that they're falling away because they were actually very healthy in the mid 60s and so this that time Mm. like paul paul's time with them to this time, that would have been strange that they had this drastic change or the rise of the Nicolaitans that's mentioned in these chapters. That doesn't seem to be possible historically to be that early. Mm-hmm. There's, not, there's not a mention of that in any of Paul's epistles, which you would think would be important if it's a big heresy. So there's a lot of good arguments. 
none of this is conclusive, right? And again, like an early church father is fallible, right. unlike scripture. So right. if scripture said it, we would land on that, but we don't have scripture speaking to it. So we have to compile the evidence, and I would say the weight is heavily toward the later date, but not 100% conclusive. Awesome. Yeah. Well, are you convinced? Uh, temporarily. Temporarily. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Me too. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So um, how's the book structured? Give us a brief outline. Yeah, so basically you can structure the whole book by sevens. And we'll oh, see the symbolic significance of seven later on, especially when we get to 666. Dun, dun, dun. It might, it might connect to this. Yeah. You never know. Um, so chapters one and three are the seven churches. So God, God's going to give these letters to the seven churches that John will write. Chapters four through seven is the seven seals. Mm-hmm. So those are... Um, uh, Marine mammals, I think, right? Seals? No. Yeah. Seals, we'll, we'll get into that later. Not, or, um, not the animal seals. United States military personnel. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Yeah. I, I learned what the, what the acronym means, but I forget. It's like yeah, it's special under, uh, um, equipment. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I can't um, remember either. Then chapters 12 to, uh, sorry, chapters 8 to 11 is the seven trumpets. So the seven seals lead into the seven trumpets. Mm-hmm. And then chapters 12 to 14 are, is a break and it's seven signs. Mm-hmm. So we'll look at the, the beast and the false prophet, which are really interesting. Chapters 15 and 16 are the seven bulls. So it's kind of the last unveiling of God's judgment. And then chapters 17 to 20 is the triumph of God. Mm. And then we end, of course, chapters 21 and 22 with the New Jerusalem. Yeah. So seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven signs, seven bowls, and then God wins the day. It's going to be good. Amen. Really good. We should get into this. We, we, we got, should. We've got a lot to cover, even in these first few chapters. Okay, guys, you ready? So, chapter one, Revelation. Yeah, chapter, chapter one, verse one. So the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So this is clearly in this, it's referring to things that are that are going to take place in the future. The word soon is, is an interesting one. So what does it mean that it's soon? That this is caused some debate. What does it mean in verse three when it says the time is near? Mm-hmm. That's a different, it's not the same idea. It's a little bit different, right? Near is a physical proximity. You are right. near to me yeah, different right now. Yeah. Soon is a time measurement. So near it clues us in that this is the, this is speaking to the last events or the next series of events in redemptive history. Mm-hmm. This is near in the sense that there's nothing else left to happen uh, in terms of biblical prophecy and per, term, right between this between the the you know resurrection of Jesus and what's to come. Mm-hmm. Soon again, I, I think Second Peter guards us from error on this. So soon, well, that has to mean a couple of years, a couple of decades, hundred years. That's not necessarily true. Why we saw that whole idea of, in terms of the the, the end of the age, that for a, a day is like a thousand years for God, right? Yeah. So so He is, I think, patient, long suffering. He allows that soon to be stretched out so people can come to faith in Him. Yeah, she's saying we can't be too um, dogmatic about what soon means. Yeah, because yeah. because if you if you argue that soon means the short amount of time, like short, like in a couple of years, well then. What does it mean at the end when Jesus says, surely I am coming soon? Mm-hmm. So is the return of Christ already happened? Some people will say, yes, everything in Revelation has already happened, to which that's super disappointing because right. the world doesn't really reflect that, right? right. Um, so, of course, you don't want to be careful not to argue too much there. But look at, look at verse 3. He says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear 
and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. I, I was talking to a student recently, he came up to me after church and said, you know, I have, I have a friend who says, great, great believer, faithful Christian, but they said they're not going to read the book of Revelation because it's all just a bunch of fighting. There's no clarity. It doesn't make any sense. What should I say to them? And I said, you should say to them, verse chapter one, verse three. Mm-hmm. It says it's blessed is the one who reads these words. Blessed are those who mm. keep them. So there is blessing available when you open up this book and yeah. study it. And it doesn't just come to, to you having a perfectly accurate chart. It doesn't, doesn't come from you being like, you know, Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind and you got like st- you know, strings attached to all these different papers around your room and you're like, you know, you figured it all out. Is that is that a beautiful mind? I don't know. Something like that. I mean, I'm just adding a bunch of movies together. <laughs> you know, you know the image I'm talking about. But but it says here that when you read this and you keep what is written, that means there are commands, there are encouragements, exhortations that you can obey. Right. So this is why we read it, so that yeah. we can be blessed by God. That's very encouraging, I think. Yeah, and that's clearly someone who like hasn't read the book and it's just heard what people have said about the book, right? Yeah. So yeah. Yes, very often, very yeah. often. Um, so. Chapter 1, verse 4, he speaks to the seven churches and the seven spirits. So seven spirits has raised a lot of questions. I really believe the seven spirits, and again, some of you will think I'm crazy for saying this, but this is a common view. The seven spirits refers to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, is there is the Trinity now <laughs> nine people? Like, what's going on? Well, I think the idea of seven spirits is really literally sevenfold spirit. Mm-hmm. So that seven is going to refer to completeness in the book of Revelation. That'll be very, very clear. So the sevenfold spirit is God's spirit. That's what it's referring to in his completeness and perfection. So of course, and of course, it's used symbolically to relate to these seven churches. So the Holy Spirit is filling the churches, blessing the churches, and working through them, even though some of them need to repent, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then verse 7, it says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Mm. Zechariah 12, reference there. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So he is coming, and, and you will see, you will see him, even those who rebelled against him, and there will be um, judgment coming. So this is, the, this is the warning of the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Now, there's lots of similarities in the next section between this account and Ezekiel or Isaiah or Daniel or many of the Old Testament prophets. So as you study this, make notes of those and check your if you have a cross-reference at the bottom of your Bible or if you have you know, a website that you, that you go to, check those cross-references and study them and think about how this relates to other parts mm-hmm. of Scripture. We can't list all of them right now. But we see he's on the island of Patmos in chapter 1, verse 9. And, and he's, he has God appear to him, right? A loud voice comes and it says to him to write these letters. So he begins to write these letters to the seven churches who are aligned with the seven lampstands in verse 12. So lampstands were, um, are related to the temple, right? So in the temple, if you go way back into our study of Exodus, and and uh, Leviticus, I believe you'll look at you'll see our talk about the lampstand. So the lampstand or the menorah. So this gave light. This is a picture of God's light in the temple. And now he's using that kind of language to refer to the churches. Mm-hmm. So we are the temple of God, metaphorically speaking. We're where God dwells. 
in the midst of his people. And and these lamps, these lampstands also connect to Zechariah 4. But mm-hmm. we don't have time to get into that. But you can read that and meditate on that yourself. In in verses 13 to 16, we see a description of Christ that is very similar to the description in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 mm-hmm. of the Ancient of Days. But in Daniel, it's of it's the Father. It's mm-hmm. the Ancient of Days. And here it's Christ. Mm. But the descriptions are very, very similar. Yeah. And that's very significant, right? Because the revelation is so explicitly presenting Christ as God. Right. There's like no, there's no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Very clear. And, um, and of course, he's holding these stars in his hand, these seven stars. So, um, yeah. So anyway, so we, there's a lot, a lot of things we could point to here, but the, uh, the white hair, the flame in his eyes, his feet like burnished bronze. Mm-hmm. Remember, you know, Romans 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet mm. or all the way back in Genesis chapter three, that there's going to one who will, who will bruise or crush the head of the serpent. Well, it sure helps to have some, some steel-toed <laughs> boots on, right? some, some burnished bronze to smash the enemies of, of God. Yeah. And so we see, yeah, so many things we can meditate on and, and yeah, worship God through this description of his Christ. So he says, verse 19, write therefore the things you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. So it gives us some hint of what this book is about, right? There are things that have happened and things that will happen. And he explains some of the mystery here. He says, as for the mystery, verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So you've noticed that number seven coming up a lot. That's going to play an important role later on as well. So let's look a little bit just briefly at these seven churches. So these are, I believe these are letters intended to real churches. Yeah. Some people read these as kind of a description of the church throughout history. I, I disagree with that. I think clearly he's speaking to, to issues in these specific churches, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean they don't have significance to church history. Fair enough. That in different times, the church has looked more or less like one of these churches. It doesn't mean it doesn't have import for your church. Your church may look like one of these churches. Right. So you need to either be encouraged or terrified, <laughs> um, depending on who you are. So what are these churches? Well, Ephesus... The first church is a church that is missing the point, a church that has lost its first love. So it's a hardworking church. In verses 2 and 3, we see that. God is praising them, but verse 4 is crucial. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Mm -hmm. You have lost your first love is the common uh, phrasing of that. So this this is so easy to happen, right? So easy to be a church to do all these things, to have all these ministries, to be starting new initiatives, and yet to lose the love that you had. Yeah, It's easy to do this in, in marriage. It's easy to do this in friendships, in, uh, in your work, right? But it's most important to not lose your first love when it comes to God. Right. And so to remember why it is that you love God, to worship Him and to treasure Him for who He is, mm-hmm. first and foremost. So it's a good reminder, and he, and he encourages them, right? He says in verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of mm. God. So we have a hint as to what's going to come at the end, that God's bringing paradise, Eden, back right. in a fuller sense. And the tree of life will be present. And that those who persevere have access to eternal life with God. Mm. It's an amazing thing. 
So if Ephesus is the church that's kind of lost its way, Smyrna is a, ch- a church facing tribulation. So he encourages them, right? He says in verse 10, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. It's hmm. great. Be faithful even unto death, right? And we'll see that encouragement again and again. It's much better to taste of death and be faithful to God right. than to forsake him and experience eternal death. Yeah. Pergamum is a church that has believed false doctrine. So we see a reference to Balaam in chapter 2, verse 14. Um, and that refers back in back to, I didn't write the references down here, but refers back to Numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's in the 30s of Numbers where Balaam is, you know, well, Balaam first tempts or tries to curse God's people and can't. Mm -hmm. And then he has a second strategy, which is to send women of of Moab into Israel to engage in sexual morality. Mm -hmm. And so he can't curse them because God is supreme, but he can use their sin against them. Mm -hmm. So that is compared to what they're dealing with, the, the false teaching they have. So this is a church that has believed false doctrine. Thyatira is tolerating a false teacher. Kind of, kind of like Pergamum, but we hear this reference to Jezebel and the, and the teaching that is encouraging sexual immorality. Hmm. So he gives strong warnings here. This is a longer section. He says in, uh, it, well, I won't go through all of that, but he says judgment is coming because of this false teaching. And so you need to repent. That's the encouragement. And... Uh, Sardis in chapter three, verse one, Sardis is a lifeless church. Uh-huh. They're a lifeless church. They just kind of, he says, I know your works, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And you don't want God to say that about you and your church. Right. That, oh, you look alive, but really you're spiritually dead. So he says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Verse three says, remember then what you have received in here, keep it and repent. Uh-huh. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. That's that's a scary thing. So they are lifeless. They need to wake up to repent and to come to Jesus. Yeah. Philadelphia gives us some hope. Philadelphia is a faithful church, and so they're encouraged, right? Verse 10, he says, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. Hmm. Verse 11, he says, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. So keep going, keep going. God is going to protect us through the trials if we trust in him. He has a plan for that, and so Philadelphia is encouraged. And if you're a faithful Christian in a church that is faithful, you should be encouraged too. Yep. Hard times will come, but God will keep you through them. And then Laodicea very famously is a lukewarm church. Mm-hmm. We see this, um, you know, and people say that that, and Laodicea, there was there's this you know spring that has hot and cold water, right? I'm sure you've heard that that reference before, archaeologically speaking. And so he refers to that you're not cold or hot, you're just this lukewarm mess. And so he'd rather you be hot or cold. He'd rather you stand for something, be committed to something, but instead you're just lukewarm. And so he says, I'm going to spit you, vomit you out of my mouth. Mm. So that is that is scary. Do not be a lukewarm. Christian. Verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So there's an invitation to communion with God, right? Yeah. To relationship with God. 
God is God is calling to us to repent, calling to so many churches mm-hmm. that are unfaithful to repent, and He will welcome them in. Yeah, I love that. I mean, regardless of the the good or negative aspect of these churches, like there's tons of decline. And at the end of every section, it's you know, He who has ears, let him hear. Yeah, come repent. So the yeah. invitation to repent is always there, which is encouraging. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and the big theme we see that's going to extend through Revelation is this theme of perseverance or endurance mm-hmm. or overcoming. Right, that that verb for overcoming is is very common in this book, but especially in these letters to the churches. Mm-hmm. And so at the beginning we have instruction as to how we're to interpret and apply the rest of the book of Revelation, mm. which is that we're supposed to be encouraged to endure, to persevere, that difficult things will come, but God rewards the one who stays true to him, who is faithful through suffering and through persecution. And so that's our encouragement to you. Don't compromise in your life now in small ways or big ways, but await and anticipate the glory that's going to be revealed in Jesus and yeah. live for him. Yeah, amen to that. Well, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week for the next part of the book of Revelation.